yeah, film and uh, like sci-fi and mystery. Like, uh, what would you end up teaching? I so actually, I did. I just did Arrival, which was really cool. Oh, it's a great okay. It's it's timing. it's Denis month. Yeah, it's Denis month. It's like everything Denis. <laughs> <laughs> Denis V month. Um, and uh, and then we did. So we actually that was the last one I did. We did. Uh, we ended up. I just did three films. And I did the original Blade Runner, Moon, and Arrival. Excellent. So uh, I yeah. felt like it was a pretty good kind of span of the sci-fi mystery. Just really, I felt like it was just really ones that were really dense and rich and smart, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So you could just delve into them. And um, we did we did a few a few stories and novels. We did H. G. Wells' The Time Machine, and so we oh, and we did some so Philip K. Dick. Yeah. yeah, so it was pretty fun. It was a really I had a lot of fun. It was it's always a weird class because I know that there's at least half the students in the class are just looking for an easy. They see film and mystery, you know, or sci fi or whatever, and they're like, oh, this will kind of be. And then I go there and I. Do all these <laughs> crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going this is on? day one. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're doing, you're like literally doing like chalkboard drawings that Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. is doing. It's yeah, like, right. so, chaos. Chaos, like, chaos, chaos. Like, yeah. <laughs> ever remember you teaching Hegel, which is uh, such a blessing, honestly. Uh, uh-huh. Thank you for just <laughs> no. kind of skipping through that. Uh, <laughs> I go straight to the marks. You know, you get all the good yeah. Hegel through marks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. actually even comes up in this movie. Uh, that's right. I love that about... scene. I was like, that's great with the Hegel and Marx thing, right? He's like Hegel and repetition and Marx. Um, and that's, that's the, right. The first is Tragedy then is farce, the, the whole Zizek. Yeah, yeah so that was a great scene. Yeah. So I decided to skip downstairs and try to make uh, jackfruit tacos really quick. And it ended up taking like 45 minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that good? Are the jackfruit subs It's the good? best. Oh, really? Yeah. I, gotta, I love it. I got to try that. I You know, I'm not a vegetarian, but I, I just, I feel guilty about eating a lot of meat and... I went to mm-hmm. the I went to the grocery store the other day and I was like I'm gonna get and I eat ham like for lunch all the time just because it's so easy mm-hmm. you know you mm-hmm. just throw in a piece of bread and you get your lunch and I was like what yeah. I need a I need like a non meat substitute and I went into the section and it just all looked like crap it just looked so bad <laughs> <laughs> and you know you look at the ingredients yeah. and it's like five kinds of oil and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want some freaking protein that tastes good. I almost just got a bunch of cheese and I was like, oh, I'll just stick with that. <laughs> but I saw, I yeah. didn't, they didn't have it, but I, one of the reasons I went over there, I had seen jackfruit at another market and they were saying it's mm-hmm. like a high protein and there's not a bunch of junk in it. It's just jackfruit and some spices yeah. or and something. Fruit. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, uh, yeah, highly recommended. Um, that, there's this jackfruit carnitas recipe by Nora oh, Cooks. Nice. Uh, Nora, N-O-R-A, cooks.com. Um, that is my favorite recipe I've like ever made wow. vegetarian after oh, having been vegetarian for like three and a half years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that shit has rocked my world. Uh, <laughs> and so like whenever I have like guests coming over or whatever, I'll like set aside an hour in the kitchen oh, nice. uh, to just blow through some of those. Cause all you need is like a cast iron and a sheet pan uh-huh. uh, and some pretty easy to find stuff. All right. You want right. to hit us with the intro? You got it? Uh, let me see. I got. I'm. I'm. I'm very close to dialing it in. What do I call enemy? Like Denis Villeneuve's experimental. It's a weird genre thing. Yeah, experimental adaptation of one of several novels named The Double. Okay. Yeah. That's how I'm going to go. Yeah. The Dostoevsky one. And someone did a film version of that. Well, who did that? Uh, that was Richard Ayoade, the, yeah. the British comedian. Yeah. Um. I think we can loop that into the intro here, so I'll start off with it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Doppelgangers on Film, a film theory podcast where we look at the strange, the psychological, the social, and the slimy aspects of all kinds of movies. I am here with my co-host, Alexander Bovey, and I'm Thomas Radke. Uh, This is episode four, Enemy, uh, Denis Villeneuve's experimental adaptation of one of several short stories um, named The Double, not the Dostoevsky one. This one's by Sarah. Sarah Margo. Sarah Margo. It is one of (laughs) two movies featuring doppelgangers based off of a short story called The Double that was released in 2013 and has like a very similar plot structure. And they're all both films are also color graded yellow. Hmm. Uh, That's cool. Which is really wild. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's it's funny that like, yeah, a, a film... Uh, about doppelgangers like has its own doppelganger out there of like similar quality i think i really like actually the uh richard iowade uh adaptation of the double yeah um it goes to some kind of like terry gilliam-esque places Mm -hmm. whereas this one is doing something a little bit different and a little bit more personal i find did we loop end up looping a, a a a reading into this one no, we didn't actually end up looping a reading. Although I was, I was thinking about maybe just doing a little, just thinking a little bit about doubling in literature, you know, and what what he's influenced by with that. Absolutely. I was also, I was also thinking about hauntology, but then I, I couldn't settle on a single one to send, so I just said, <laughs> I gave up. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should definitely do like ghost. a. <laughs> you gave it the ghost on hauntology no, well, <laughs> we should give you uh i think i would love to hear like a really brief outline of hauntology though that's one of, i think one of the most fascinating concepts yeah. uh yeah. that comes out of literature yeah. and, and definitely does apply in some ways uh to this work uh and i guess before everything starts i would just yeah encourage you this is a movie that has some like excellent little twists and turns and really fun to see without spoilers but i find also even with spoilers the the experience itself of it um Mm -hmm. is so uh kind of funky and raw that you'll you'll get something out of it even if we spoil everything for you so choose what you want to do we're just going to start i think off the cuff with spoilers it's really difficult to talk about it is i think to have like a rewarding like full discussion uh we'll just start it off that way 
Yeah, I agree. And, and it's, it, it is kind of a, th- I would say, I mean, it's hard to, to, to pin down the genre, but it has a thriller feel to it in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. and it does have, there's some twists and turns, but yeah, I think you're right. It's the, there's just the experience of watching the film. This the most enjoyable part of the film. Um, and I wanted to, um, come back to that too, because it relates to the doubling thing, but, um, it's a great movie for hauntology. I do think, cause it's like, it's, it's such a spectral movie. It's such a haunting movie and the doubles. Um, so, you know, uh, maybe just as a little bit of a background, the word, the word hauntology, um, was invented, by Derrida, um, as far as I know, at least. And, um, and it came out of his work specters on Marx. And, uh, it was a text in which Derrida does a reading of, uh, Marx's communist manifesto and Das Kapital and, and general his ideas. Uh, but he starts out of course, with that great phrase, um, a specter is haunting Europe. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and then he, you know, he, he just, you know, I think that the, the legacy of hauntology is the concepts themselves. So famously Derrida says that any, any, every, you know, every concept starting with the concept. So oh, I should back up a little bit. The hauntology is a pun on ontology and haunting. Right. And so ontology, mm-hmm. uh, O-N-T-O ontology, uh, is, the philosophy of being, you know, just the very, the concept and the idea of being. And, and Derrida famously deconstructs, uh, to use his term, ontology and the concept of being by focusing on the way in which it has been grounded in the concept of presence and the present um, throughout mm. history. And the great point that I think Derrida makes, uh, that I think is often lost is that the, the idea of a present and presence, like a pure now, a pure presence, a pure sense of like what distinguishes something from its copy, for instance, um, or from something that is not fully there or not at all there, uh, an idea from a thing or a memory from a uh, experience. What experience, what distinguishes that is this attachment of being, which is presence. Right. But I think what what's great point of Derrida is that there's no presence that isn't always his term is always already. He loves to use that. There's no presence that isn't always Mm. already haunted. Right. Um, um, But by both a past and a future, it's already corrupted. It's already um, formed by. Everything's a, every, every, there's no, every first time is a repetition. Every beginning of something is haunted by a past of something else. Um, and so there's no being without no presence, without some haunt, some specter, some, some haunting of something else. And, um, um, one of the great thinkers who takes, I think who takes up ontology actually is again, Mark Fisher, you know, and Mark Fisher is interested, especially yeah. in that idea of the cap, the relation of capitalist realism and that emphasis on presence and, and nostalgia. Uh, and so he thinks capital kind of like transforms the world into this constant mode of being stuck in a present. That's a false present by repressing the, the, the specters of the past and the future. Um, yeah. And so you have all these really interesting things about that. And I think that, you know, to me, the film is fascinating in the way in which 
it's about, you know, you could see it really one way to see it is it's about this, this character, um, Jake, uh, Gyllenhaal's character who is suddenly haunted by himself in a way, right. Or by this other that, that he becomes (laughs) obsessed with. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, I think, and then, you know, an interesting aspect of that and dreams too, and stuff like that are, he's haunted by these things. Um, and, um, and one one of the one of the things I think that makes me think about are, is like what in the movie, what's not in the movie that haunts the movie. And so, I mean, one of the things yeah. is like the sense of capital and capitalism. Like one of the interesting things about the two doubles is that so you know, there's probably I, I I'm kind of like always, and I don't know if this is the movie intentionally kind of like confuses you a little bit. And so I'll, I'll be grappling a little bit, but which is which but the, there's a teacher, <laughs> right. right? So the teacher's Adam, right. Yes. And, uh, um, and the actor's Anthony. That's right. Is that right. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, you know, so Adam, the teacher's apartment is this like totally bland blank, you know, unadorned yeah. austere <laughs> place. And then, Adam, the, the actor's apartment, and he has this weird, we can get into the stuff about that group he's in and stuff, right? That weird club, but yeah. he's got some stuff going on where, you know, there's a, there's a, there's some contrasting going on with the idea of mm-hmm. class and lifestyle and commodities and yeah. things and happiness. He has like a like window, that. like a, like very, lots of natural light. Yeah. And, uh, 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 Adam is like, yeah, he like lives in a, in a high rise. Uh, Aaron does, and Adam lives in like right. what what can only like had to be described as like Winston's apartment in 1984. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like this this concrete like well, brutalist. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, very just kind of dark and dank little sad place where yeah. he has awful sex with his girlfriend. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in England they used to call them commie flats. You know, like the like yeah. uh, these built these socialist or communist uh, uh, modeled idea of just like these massive repetition of apartments uh, that you see, for instance, in in parts of China. You know. Um, Beijing and stuff where you see building after building. And there's some little hint of that in a couple of the buildings there and certainly in his apartment. Right. Yeah. And that really plays mm-hmm. into this contrast for sure. And it's yeah, a haunting definitely. apartment too, isn't it? His Adams, right. It's like, it's kind of empty and spectral and like shadowy and uh, hollow. Yeah. yeah. Now the, uh, uh, like uh, often like the only lights is like, the like dim light coming from the kitchen and then like a cold, uh, like laptop or phone screen. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That spectral light of the digital world and the computers. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, um, yeah, I think the like haunted aspect is, is absolutely, uh, there. Cause I mean, this is, this, it also brings up some other stuff we've talked about before of like, you know, the return of the repressed, like the, mm-hmm. the kind of haunted aspect of, of the constant present is that there has been, you know, uh, uh, decades and centuries all like leading up to this moment in history, but, um, kind of, uh, the forces of capital don't really want you to know that or like mm-hmm. clock that. Um, and it's, it's in, instead becomes all about like the, the glorious now, uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. the like ever present, uh, moment um which is always uh meant to be seized mm-hmm. but um 
a lot of what this movie is, is it's, it's, uh, on a meta level about a guy reckoning, reckoning with his like worst instincts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of facing down his own thoughts and his own like past that he just tried to, yeah, repress, tried to like put to sleep and, yeah. and something that, and another haunting thing about it is, uh, <laughs> the, presence of all the giant spiders mm-hmm. in the film like yes. you notice there's that there's some incredible cuts where he'll have like a difficult conversation with his mother and then all of a sudden we're like snapped over toronto mm-hmm. and uh there's a giant freakish looking spider yeah uh kind of towering over the uh whole city yeah uh just this this horrific presence, you know, this this kind of elephant in the room, like magnified to a thousand. Yeah, that's such a that, creepy scene. Yeah. It's oh, it's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's spiders. We'll have to I think we'll have to come back around to this because the dream image of spiders is obviously a recurring thing, but also it's an interesting trope in the film the idea of the spider it starts out with the woman stepping on a spider and then it's always mm-hmm. i think every scene that's a dream right has a spider in it in some way um and it's always the, the spider's linked obviously to the feminine kind of traditionally in in yeah in that figurative sense and clearly in this movie right like you have got that group of men it starts out with that scene with this weird gentleman's club type thing it's sort of a uh, they're um um, what is the Kubrick, um, uh, eyes, oh, wide, yeah, like eyes wide shut. Yeah. Eyes wide shut. Mm-hmm. kind of feel or something. It's just hinted at in the film. It's really interesting. We never know what's going on there, but we have yeah. this scene where these well-dressed men in suits and stuff are creepily gazing on as this woman masturbates and then steps on a spider. And then there's a scene where, a wonderful scene with a dream sequence where there's this woman walking down a hall and it's shot upside down and she's got like a spider head. Um, yeah. And, uh, and a couple of other scenes. And then the last, there's a last moment and there's a, yeah. Um, dream like moment and they're all, there's all a spider. And I think you're right to link it to there's this haunting unconscious thing, um, that just keeps coming back. It won't let him go. And, um, yeah. he's kind of caught in its, caught in its web, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Well, I think it's interesting to note that, um, yeah, the first scene of the film is, is, yeah, is that scene where, uh, the, we see that, that gentleman's club, which is, it, it's interesting. It's, I find it interestingly different from eyes wide shut because mm-hmm. there's uh, all of the men are at this, are at this distance and they're not participants in any of it. It's like they're, it's almost like they're observing like this kind of like, uh, like it, it's like zoo like, uh, or, or theater like, uh, it's, um, and it, it ties into some stuff we see later in, in Denny's, um, filmography. Uh, I think especially Blade Runner 2049, where oh, right. it's about, um, these alien encounters with women that men like simply just don't know how to deal with. Um, yeah. And I think that the primary thing is, is the first scene is that scene, uh, in the gentleman's club, but the first image of the film bereft of any context is Aaron's pregnant wife. Oh, right. 
Yeah. And uh, it's important to note too, that like, yeah, the spider imagery. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's not some like crackpot theory, of course, that like it's, it is associated with the feminine, like, you know, all the, all the hunter spiders, all the uh, large spiders depicted in the film, besides the one that's an actually an adaptation of a sculpture in Toronto, oh, uh, I didn't know that. which is the one towering over the city. Uh-huh. Uh, all of those are, are uh, female spiders. Um, uh-huh. And right. it's about, I think the fundamental theme of the film uh, and I was actually able to watch some featurettes about it as well, uh, is kind of Jake Gyllenhaal and Denis Villeneuve, uh, accessing that, like that adolescent part of their brains, uh, <laughs> or, or this kind of, uh, yeah. undeveloped, um, masculine fear of the feminine and how mm-hmm. the feminine in like many of its aspects, uh, uh is perceived as a threat, uh, mm-hmm. or, or threatening or, uh, alien and potentially harmful uh to the masculine um and to see that th- that play out in such a fascinating like literal and figurative way in this movie uh it's yeah it's a really impressive document on on that kind of psychology yeah yeah it, it really and it really kind of touches upon very economically upon all aspects of that, right? Like you, as you pointed out, pregnancy, you know, that kind of strange anxiety, that male anxiety about, you know, birth and women and being swallowed up, you know, that's like one of the things is like the spiders eat their young, right. And they, or they eat you and stuff like that. The, the, the black widow that that's part of that. Something you were just saying there, um, yeah, you were just saying that I like that comment, that idea that um, that opening scene and the men at that strange club, that kind of underground gentleman's club. And you were looking that to Blade Runner and um, that idea of women. And it's funny because it occurred when you said that. First of all, I'm really interested. I'm particularly interested in in Villeneuve's the way he does that with films, like in films that seem totally radically different, there's some scene that recurs in a, in a different way or like an image or a scene or some just something that reminds you or even alludes to another film. Like yeah. um, the, the thing that really struck me, well, one that sort of struck me and gave me the idea to keep an eye out for that was in Blade Runner, the end of Blade Runner 2049, um, when Kay puts his hand up against, um, the wind or no, sorry. Um, um, Deckard puts his hand up against the window and Anna Celine's on the other side in this weird bubble. Yeah. And, uh, she's like a strange, we now know she's like a weird hybrid, um, replicant human creature. And, and in arrival, there had been that scene where, um, um, Anna puts her hand, uh, against, or, uh, against a window with the aliens on the other side. And the alien puts his weird tentacle <laughs> hand on the window from the yeah. other side. And, right, and there's like, he's this alien thing. In the, and that that's almost an exact repetition of that gesture. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it totally is. And so, yeah. And so, and when you were saying that, it just occurred to me that I had been, I was thinking for some reason I found myself, I was thinking a little bit, and there's another one I want to bring up later, but, but uh, with another movie, but I was, for some reason I was thinking about, that scene in Blade Runner, that that great um, melding scene where the two women, the uh, the the replicant 
prostitute and the hologram um, his girlfriend merged together for him to uh, have the experience of having sex with it with her, right? Yeah. And when you were saying that, it occurred to me in a weird way. You could think about this switching of wife girlfriend in this one and being like virtually like the same woman and the same man, but in a reverse situation. So there's something about that. <laughs> yeah, that's like, actually right? true. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. yeah. No, there's there's such there's a lot going on. I think that um, Villeneuve has a lot of interest in yeah kind of the the ways in which the like traditional relationships with uh, between men and women like all the little cracks uh that show kind of in that and like yeah he takes this relationship that uh Kay has with joy in blade runner um which is constructed as like this like 1950s-esque thing mm -hmm. um and then uh explores like the really transgressive cracks in it and for this he, he just takes like the life of a uh kind of downbeat uh professor in like smoke-filled toronto uh and explores the complications that come just out of like a, a, a very mundane situation and like elevates the kind of mundane psychology of of that uh into something that is similarly transgressive and similarly um yeah, like really uh, exploratory. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how this movie is is so engaging. It's it's like it's a very enthralling movie. There's something about it that just keeps you like it, it's not even it's a it's a weird movie, right? It's not even like it's a suspense in a lot of ways. It's just kind of like it just keeps you going. What's you know fascinated with the moment, and yet mm -hmm. it's so mundane. It is really like in a lot of ways, it's just some guy you know some alienated guy sitting at home, not doing anything half the time, sometimes, right? Like a lot of times he's yeah. just sitting at the table, not talking to his girlfriend rather than talking to his girlfriend. There's a lot of, there's a lot of alienation uh, going on in the film. Um, and I think that like splitting of the self, um, uh, Arctic, you know, that, that, that relates to that idea of alienation. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe to talk a little bit about doubling and then it'd be kind of cool just to walk through the movie a little bit, some of the scenes in the movie. But I, I yeah. wanted to, I was thinking about influences I thought were really interesting because you mentioned the movie is based on that, the novel Double by Saramago. Um, but it, it also has all these influences throughout literature. And I really like the way the film drew on this rich history of literature and film doubling. And I was thinking some, some things that came to mind were obviously Dostoevsky's the double that, that clearly is an influence on, uh, as well, both on the novel and the film. Great, great yeah. novella. Uh, definitely. I think definitely, um, Edgar Allan Poe's short story, William Wilson, which is one of the really great doubling. If people haven't read that, I highly recommend it. Um, it's a great short story about this, this guy, William Wilson, who he goes off to, I believe it's a university when he first meets him. And there's this other student, or maybe it's a English boarding school, I guess, actually. Yeah, and he, and he meets, uh, this other character comes in with the same name, um, who looks exactly like him. And, and he ends up, um, becoming obsessed with him in a similar way. And then, hmm. um, his, his double ends up, um, showing up at all these points in his life when he's doing something terrible, like cheating at gambling and stuff like that. And, uh, the, and his double just like weirdly mysteriously is like, 
shows up at that moment and reveals him for what he's doing or in some way shames him and stuff like that. And then they end up having this duel at the end. Um, and he thinks he kills his double, but he actually is lying dead on the floor by the end of the story himself. Um, and it's cool because <laughs> even the name William Wilson, and it's a double name with double event, right? So they're both William Wilson and the idea of the, the that name, William Wilson, the will, um, is what's repeated William Wilson. So it's like a split will and the idea of free will and split will are, are a big part of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, I also weirdly thought about Nabokov's novel despair, which is a really, another great doubling one. I, I particularly I've found myself going, Oh, it's a great novel. And it's, um, um, that also was made into a, a pretty cool film. Um, but the novel is really cool because, um, the twist in it is actually so it, it one of the things that really reminded me is is right when you realize that um andrew is d- dies and adam is going to take his or sorry anthony dies right and then yes. um and then adam is 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 basically going to take his place and yeah. i was and i you know it starts to click into place and i'm thinking oh yeah because because now anthony um, is wearing his clothes. He's in his car. He's, he's with his girlfriend. Right. Um, and, and so now it's like he died and he can just take this role. And that, that's basically what Nabokov's story is about is he sees this, he sees this guy, um, and he is shocked by, by the fact that it's his, he thinks it's his complete double. And then he decides he wants to disappear. He doesn't like his life. And so he's going to, uh, stage a murder of this guy where he's going to set, he goes through all these lengths to set up, um, this other guy to be in his car, wearing his clothes and all this stuff with with his ID and everything. He goes through great, great lengths, (laughs) but now this is a spoiler. So if you haven't read the novel and you want to read it, um, skip this part, skip, you know, 30 seconds or so. Uh, but (laughs) the big, great twist in the Nabokov story is that it turns out, and you don't realize this until after the, that crime is committed, he murders the guy. And then it turns out that the, the double actually doesn't look even remotely like him at all to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> like not even a little bit. That's <laughs> and, awesome. and, and in his head, he was convinced that like nobody, like that, that nobody, like, like it was like these two, like nobody could, could possibly tell them apart. Like even his family and like his wife, nobody would know. And, and, and it doesn't even occur to anybody to think it looks like him for a split second. Like it's like, God, it's so, it's, yeah, it's a great, it's a great novel, but it, it occurred to me that that, and it's interesting in relation to each other too, because one of the things I thought was interesting about this, um, the way this unfolds is that, um, Adam is recommended by a colleague to watch a film Right. And he's like, I don't yeah. like movies. I don't do anything. I don't like movies. I don't like movies. Yeah. <laughs> right. Stupid. This, right. I know. Right. <laughs> uh, and so his colleague says, well, you know, uh, he, you know, he says, but you can recommend, do you have one? And so his colleague recommends this movie and then he watches it on DVD on his, on his laptop. And then what I thought was interesting here is like, he, he goes to bed and he wakes up in the middle of the night and then he realizes sort of in his sleep, wait, I saw this guy yeah. in the movie that was my double. And then he goes back 
And so I love that logic because it introduces the idea that he like sort of emerges out of his unconscious. Like you were saying, like it's the return of the repressed, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's asleep and it adds this element of unreality to it, of this kind of fantasy. Like, is it, is he really his double? I mean, the movie yeah. plays out totally as it is, but the, that you enter into a strange um, space of, internal external like what's happening is it in his head is it not in his head uh and and what i love too is it's just at that moment right because the rest of the movie just plays out as if it really it's all happening but at that moment it introduced that doubt and i think the nabokov's is an interesting thing that's like well it could have been it could have been different it could have just been in his head or something yeah yeah Uh, and that's that's um uh, that that scene is really wild too because his girlfriend tries to take him to bed and then he doesn't and then he watches the movie yeah. and like frustratingly closes it and then um like more or less like assaults her uh yeah uh and she like yeah gets him out of the bedroom and is angry at him because it, he like uh she was like asleep like when he went to like actually uh go have sex with her like like you know god knows how long after she asked <laughs> um and then in frustration like uh, it, so it's like it's almost like what it, watching that like triggered something in him and why whether whether that was like watching a movie like didn't make him happy like didn't cure mm-hmm. his depression like uh-huh. uh yeah <laughs> his like uh, uh weird co-workers said it would or, or something <laughs> deeper like maybe like set off by seeing his like kind of more virile double right uh in it uh yeah causes him uh or the flip side of it. yeah or the flip side of like his own lack, right? Like his inability yeah. and his lack was projected on, like it had no outlet. And then it was found this outlet and this fantasy of this other self somewhere in the other world. And you were mentioning earlier the idea of like, this is his worst tendencies. And you think about like the different motifs the, of the doppelganger, right? Like the other, it can take a lot of different forms. Like in the, in the, in the, Poe's story, it's kind of the opposite in a way. I mean, it's the same, but kind of the opposite because the the other William Wilson is kind of like his conscience, you know, but that's because he's this oh. kind of like bad character and the other one's like his his alter ego or his like his super ego, rather, um, who's coming after him, right? But but this one, I think, yeah, you're. it's like an alter ego, right? It's like this alter ego that yeah. has the repressed side of him. That's the things that he doesn't want to express, but uh, he represses because he's sort of this soft-spoken, shy, anxious person. And this sort of like all these tendencies against aggression and sexual violence and stuff like that are come out yeah. in the other version of himself. Yeah, I think that's interesting to bring that up that like, yeah, you have this one story where um, the double is kind of the id. In other words, the double is the superego. And then another... Um, uh, uh, in in um, Richard Iwade's, uh, it's interesting because I think that one is the most kind of. Uh, uh, it, it's also a really similar double to this. Like it's a meek guy, and his <laughs> double is kind of just like him, but better. Um, uh-huh. But uh, yeah. and he starts to succeed at the job and like get promotions and everything while yeah. he like stays in the same position and he yeah like gets yeah really uh, that like avarice uh kind of boils up in him and uh gets him to like yeah uh, contemplate murder and shit um but this one is interesting because i think it 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 frames his like meekness and his smallness uh as just as much 
almost as like a misogynist kind of uh, self-defense technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as, that's right. Uh, Anthony's like outward uh, uh, like stalking of his uh, um, of his of his girlfriend and of that whole thing. Um, like he's he's shown as just as like incomplete and kind of barren a human being like morally and ethically uh, uh, and just kind of in the soul as his um, yeah, much more like upfront uh, uh, aggressive masculine counterpart. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And I found that really fascinating. Yeah. And then like, uh, I think on a, on a, on a whole like outside level and this is, uh, it, it's not a reading I had of it for a long time until I, uh, ended up, uh, did it, doing a good amount of reading about it where kind of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Denny Villeneuve are, are kind of both on the same page. And so are a lot of people who've written about the film that, um, ultimately the film is, about the the difficulty of of kind of growing up almost uh, mm-hmm. of uh, of um, owning like one's own life and um, uh, in this specific instance ending a relationship with a mistress um, and in this it's so difficult for Jake Gyllenhaal's like uh, or, or Adams. Uh, or Anthony's, we don't actually know who's the real one. I think like there's the hybrid of them is the real mm-hmm. one. Um, it's so difficult for him that his personality shatters <laughs> and he is both of these people. I, I find it really interesting too, that, that, that the, the hyper-masculine guy is the guy with the wife and it's the weaker one. Uh, the one who needs to grow more, mm-hmm. uh, is the one with the mistress. Um, yeah. 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 Cause he, he's the one who can't commit. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, really wild. And the other guy's the one who like is committed, but like wants to get out of it. And, and that per that part of him literally like needs to die, mm-hmm. uh, in order for him to yeah. like yeah. move on <laughs> with his life. Yeah. And it's such a weird moving on, right? Like he steps into this other <laughs> role in this in this way where he is he is kind of a ghost of himself in a way, right? Like he's this strange double of himself that's replaced the other one. Um, and there's nothing. It's like it's still. I, I think that's so interesting is that he steps into that role in this. So now he's in that role in this as if way, right? He didn't earn it. He didn't yeah. live it. He just kind of like switched into it. And he has this secret and he's even going to go, but he's even going to go to the club, right? He's not going to be like, oh, I'm the good one that's going to take this role. Because she, there's a weird sense, we're, we're talking about the end now, but it, there's a weird yeah. sense that the, that the um, actor's wife knows. In fact, she, she probably does know, right? Because she says, how was your day at school? Right? Yep. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And then she, but then... Um, she seems to be attracted to the idea because he seems to be different, right? He seems to be like, it's like, it's like my hubby, but, but, but a good version. (laughs) (laughs) When he like asks questions. Yeah. 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 But then he instantly is like, Ooh, the key. Cause he gets that envelope. Right. That's Um, right. Yeah. And, and he says, I'm going out tonight. Um, 
And so he, he, he steps into that role completely. Like there's not, there's not like some, so if it's about, I think that's a great point. Like it's, it's about this idea of like growing up and, and maturing into this role, but there's no, there's no doing it right. Like there's no successful model of doing it in this. Yeah. Like he mostly fails. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, the other, like some of the other things I found interesting was, um, I think it was Lynchian and Hitchcockian in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, um, so like I was thinking about Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway as two of these doubling movies, right? Uh, and, and Lost Highway, it's interesting because in Lost Highway, you've got the main character, in the middle of the movie, he gets thrown into jail, into death row, locked in, and then suddenly they open the door and he's somebody else and you follow that somebody else and it's him, but he's not him, right? It's him, but it's yeah. another actor playing that role. So it's like a different person who just steps into his life. And in this movie too, there's a middle moment somewhere, uh, you know, roughly like the second act, I'll say, of the play, of the film, where um, he finds his double, he starts to become obsessed and then he calls him and then I think he's in the bathroom, right? And then it, and then the camera kind of shifts around almost without your knowing it. You think it's a reverse angle shot, but then it's the other him. Yeah. It's the other Jake Gyllenhaal. It's Anthony. And then you follow him for a while and then you go back and forth. And there was something about that that really reminded me. And in fact, it, in, there was a scene. All right. Well, I'll come, I'll come back to this later because it's the end too. There's another scene that, that reminded me of Mulholland saw. I'm all home drive scene, but, mm. um, but maybe to, maybe to just lay it out a little bit since we're already talking about the end <laughs> and I think jumping around is great, but you know, so kind of thinking about the progress of the film, it, I think it does kind of have these two acts in the way that a lot of Lynch movies do. It's like this first life of this person and then a sudden weird unconscious element enters into the film and throws a, throws a curveball into the film. So you have, you know, that, that first scene where he's, um, at the club and, and that, that's a dream that turns out to be a dream sequence, right? So he's at this weird gentleman's club, um, or it seems like a dream sequence, right? He's, I think it's, I think it's, even though it's a occurring, there's like an unconscious link between the two or something because exactly that's a fascinating thing is I I wrote something in my notes is there's, there's a one particular moment where, um, like somehow, uh, either Adam, Adam like sees something that uh, through Anthony's eyes. Yeah, Yeah. I find that really fascinating. And there, there's definitely, is it me? I mean, I, I probably should watch it a couple more times, but there were definitely a few scenes where I had to stop and say, okay, who, which one is this? Is this Adam or Anthony, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a handful of those yeah. are like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And especially by the end, you're like, wait, he's with his wife. This is Anthony with Adam's, right? And so it's, it gets confusing. But so that first scene is, is he's, um, you know, he's at this club with the gentleman's club. They're watching a woman. Um, kind of masturbating on a table or something. And then there's a spider and she steps on the spider. And then it seems like it was a dream sequence. Then you go into this character, um, Adam, who's obviously Jake Gyllenhaal, who's the teacher. 
and there's some interesting classroom scenes. And I, I love that uh, the classroom scenes, first of all, he's got this crazy scribbling all over the board, which I can relate to. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. <laughs> 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 at one point they show it and it's like it's just a bunch of lines and circles that are like chaos 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 yeah just pointing <laughs> to each other like, yeah. <laughs> um, but i love that one of the cool things is that like is that we were just talking about like that that moment where uh he's in the classroom and he talks about hegel and marx and repetition and it's cool because it brings in this broader idea of history and repetition you know he talks about hegel's point that everything in history happens twice and then um marx's comment that uh yes but the first time as tragedy and the second time as farce and um and i think that links into this i you know i would i would think it i would link it to fisher's idea of capitalist realism and you know he's so fisher is so uh attuned to the idea that there's no future because there's only a present because capitalism gives us this illusion, locks us in this illusion of a constant present where everything is a commodity. So the past artifacts, past artworks, past history, past events are just these exchangeable commodities. And so you can't go anywhere from that. And there's a yeah. sense of which he is the, 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 the teaching the, and then he does that. And then the teaching scenes themselves are repeated. And so there's a sense in which history and mm -hmm. time and, and um, capitalism uh, and his life the, that repetition and doubling is inherent. It, it, there's a mirroring and a reflection between those two things. And I like that those teaching scenes open the movie up to a broader reference. And then, so then, totally. yeah. So then he sees the film and he sees his double in the film. He becomes obsessed. Jump in and tell me what I'm missing. So he, he, he. That's, yeah, you're getting yeah. there. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's about what happens. I mean, uh, yeah, he has that like really funny conversation with his, uh, with his, his coworker, which we talked about earlier, but there's yeah, one particular scene, yeah. line, which I thought was so good where like he asked him like, oh yeah, do you like movies? And he was like, nah, I, I don't really like, I don't really watch movies yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> um, and the guy's like, oh, like movies are good. Like I find they like help me like, you know, think about some stuff. Um, and then there's just like a silence. And then Jake Gyllenhaal is like, wait, so are, were you going to like recommend me any? Or <laughs> yeah. did, you just, did yeah. you just bring up this conversation for no reason? Or it's so good. It's like, crazy. I think that Gyllenhaal is such, is so yeah. good. Uh, it's funny how good he is as both like uh, uh, a kind of scary uh, intimidating guy and also as like a, like a slightly meek like kind of weird dude he's um, really good in this he's really good in I don't know if I do yeah. you like Jake Gyllenhaal overall oh god that's a loaded question I don't yeah. put any I don't I don't like celebrities per uh -huh. se good. like I think uh, most yeah. most people who would like stand in front of a camera for like a Hollywood studio are like freaks on some level <laughs> um, <laughs> and like he definitely is like he's he's he a very weird, weird dude yeah. um, but as much as I could like like a, an actor uh yeah i i i i appreciate a lot of his work yeah um i think uh i was never like a donnie darko kid that's what or, i was gonna say whatever. too i didn't i wasn't crazy about that movie yeah but yeah i did think he was really good in nightcrawler yeah like it was that. really good in nightcrawler really good yeah. in prisoners he's like i think the standout performance in prisoners yeah um uh, in in a movie full of pretty good performances uh and in this he's great and uh, he was in the more recent Spider-Man movie that I watched just to watch him because to see if he did okay. anything and <laughs> he was good in that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, I, I kind of, it's hit or miss with me. I kind of like it's, or it's case by case, you know, it's not like I'm a big fan of his, but he, he really can be good sometimes. And, um, and he's kind of weird. He kind of like, he's a big star, but he always seems a little bit off or something like in that role. Like he doesn't yeah. quite sit, sit well with him. Um, and I thought he was great in this and uh, yeah, that's, that was a great scene. It's like, yeah, he's like, it's so awkward, you know, this colleague and he's like, it's, it's like pulling teeth to get the film recommendation from him. Um, what was the name? Do you remember what the name of the film was? A weird name. It was like, uh, it's where there's a will, there's a way. There you go. That's right. I was yeah. thinking, yeah. And you think of like the, the will, right? Like William Wilson mm-hmm. and the idea of, uh, having a free will where the, that's a, that's a good little thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then also and- very weird to like recommend to your coworker, like, uh, uh, a definitely like low budget, yeah. um, <laughs> like vanilla, <laughs> uh yeah. like romantic comedy uh like made in toronto apparently like they brings that up it's yeah, like, it's local. Local. yeah. <laughs> and he's like the cliche bus boy it's like uh right yeah, in the yeah. movie it's like a weird um throwback kind of thing yeah that that was totally and i i do love the fact that he did that we see that other movie right that that uh mm-hmm. that made that some scenes from this movie um yeah it's great and the way he tracks through it is really great too like it's almost like a a little bit of like um csi is not the way to put it but like kind of procedural almost like zodiac-esque where he's like Mm. bip 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 like oh oh, i think zodiac is another great performance by jake by the way definitely Um, right yeah yeah uh but he's like yeah like scanning through it um it reminded me a lot of uh uh, kiyoshi kurosawa's work um Mm. Uh, both in the film Cure and Pulse, there's these great scenes of people going like frame by frame through something. Yeah. And in, in the sound mix, uh, the uh, uh, the tracking noises are elevated. Mm. Uh, so it goes like, geek, 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 uh-huh. and you get this like electronic uh-huh. feedback and all yeah. that. Uh, uh, and in this too, you see that and you see the grain from the laptop screen. And uh-huh. uh, I thought that was pretty slick. Yeah, yeah. that's just cool. Yeah. A little bit hanaki too, in some way. I was thinking of mm-hmm. uh, cachet, even though that's a VHS. There's this weird tracking of scenes in that as well. Yeah, but yeah totally. Yeah, and then yeah. and I, I love another scene. You know, some of the scenes like that. That's a great example because some of the scenes that are so good in this are so subtle. You know, they're not like set pieces. So it was like one of the scenes I love is when he first calls his double, uh, and his wife picks up. Yeah. Oh awesome it's just a really wonderful scene one of the one of the things um one of the things i like about it is just like it's it's so well done. like you were saying earlier that there's like a weird mundaneness to this movie as well just like a, at the tempo is so is so deliberate and unrushed and um and and it it it's a doubles it's a movie it's a doppelganger movie that you know, the whole idea of the doppelganger obviously has all kinds of possible fantastic sides to it, like whether it be dreamlike or fantastic or scary or gothic or nightmarish or, or et cetera, et cetera. This movie, it also just, this movie takes it so literally and realistically, you know, it's like, it's really just dwell with these moments of like, what if I really (laughs) did just see somebody that was exactly me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is such an insane line uh, to be able to do in your movie where it's it is this like kind of highly psychological thing of of, yeah, like shedding the worst parts of yourself uh uh, and and coming and like facing your your, yourself. But it's also like 
just the literal logistics of mm-hmm. what happens if you got in a phone call mm-hmm. and the person, this person picks up and they think that like, you're this person because in, in every way you are like them. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, <Right. and laughs> there's so many great scenes like that. Yeah. Where, uh, it's just, it's, it's yeah. Somehow both that like elevated psychology and also just like the flat, like what happens if this happens yeah. type stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it was so well played out on the phone, right? It was just like, exactly. There's this awkwardness and like, she tries to laugh about it and make it a joke. And he's sort of like, has that exact sense in which like, if somebody was trying to make something a joke, you kind of want to laugh at it, but it's not a yeah. joke. And then, and he's like, what, you know, and it's like, and then it just becomes really awkward. And then she's like, what is happening? And it, it's so creepy <laughs> when she says that it's like, yeah, there's something other else going on. And there's those, those hints, there's little hints about there. So it's this realistic thing. And then there's these other little hints about this strange, uh, supernatural aspect of it. Um, like that one, like what is happening kind of indicates that there's, there's some realization that it's got to be breaking the rules of reality in some way. There's also a great moment where is it, I think it's Anthony's wife. Um, is it Anthony's wife? Now I'm not hundred percent sure about one of their other significant others. I think it's Anthony's wife who says, uh, I think, you know, like they're talking about what's going on. And she says, and she just says, I think, you know. And it's like this weird sense of like somehow she has this intuitive sense that he has some idea of what's hap- of what's going on, right? Like somehow yeah. he has some deeper knowledge of what's happening in the and that's a that's a cool thing. And the other thing I really like about that scene too is just the phones. And I think that's one of the things that reminds me about Lynch. Like telephones are all over the place in this movie. They're so, you know, you look at like Mulholland Drive, like scene after scene after scene with phones, just a phone in the scene or telephone scenes or telephone communications. Yeah. Um, And that, uh, I love that because that's a very spectral thing too, right? Because Derrida talks about the voice and the voice is being haunting and haunted, especially when it's like a simulacra or a representation or some time way where you've got a voice without a person. It's a, it's a presence that we, we kind of just filter out like it's normal, but it, there's something haunting about that. Um, and they kind of transport you somewhere else and stuff. And so it's a cool, uh, that's a cool symbol throughout the, throughout the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I find, um, so much of it is like, uh, yeah, those like those veiled communications. I love uh, when movies kind of deal with that, like the layers, uh, behind layers of, uh, yeah, human communication. And it's, it's another thing that, uh, Villeneuve is, is interested in, uh, like you were mentioning with, um, yeah, the kind of characters between the glass, um, and everything and, uh, uh, in arrival <laughs> and in this. And I think like if you put together this and arrival or, and Blade Runner, um, and then, uh, you get the, um, this almost like thematic trilogy of like people attempting to communicate, mm. uh, and, kind of realizing that there's like, there's not like a one-to-one way that like humans can interface. Like there's always going to be an element of, of misunderstanding. Uh, there's all of these blocks, whether like social or, uh, like otherwise, um, that Mm -hmm. will keep us apart. But, uh, the like most important thing is, is, is to continue to try, uh, to do that. And that's like what, um, 
where enemy is like a really cynical take on that, where it's like by the end, he's grown a little bit. Like he's not like he he's, he's like a slightly more empathetic person embodying this role, but he's like still a piece of shit. Who's going to like indulge these kind of weird uh, uh, transgressive uh, impulses. Um, And then you get to arrival and it's like, you're communicating with an alien species and um like you have to start from square one and and they do it and something happens you know and then and same with blade runner where it's about uh yeah again like this a lot about like um gender but also like generations uh Mm -hmm. and the blockages um of, of speaking through that of, of like biology itself. Yeah. Of, of, uh, biological difference. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Origin. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that reading of the three films. That's really great. The idea of communications and barriers and communications and trying to like reach the otherness to like a, a communication with this kind of otherness, which is interesting in this film because it's with, it's a, it, it it's alienation is clearly a central part of the film, right? And it's so like that the other is yourself, but it's also it's like radically other precisely because it's some self, it's yourself that you don't know, and that it's yeah. right, and that it's alienated. You're alienated from yourself, and so it's it's um that that self alienation, and 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 the other thing about those three films is they're all very spectral, right? There's a, there's a hauntology, a spectrality to all of them Absolutely. where you know, um, yeah, Arrival, you know, you have that, that great sense, such a, such a great and strange movie where, you know, you, it starts off <laughs> with this, what you think is a past montage and it, it's actually a future montage. And so <laughs> yeah. there's this figure, especially for instance, of the herself, but also her daughter, uh, the child who never exists in the film. So she's sort of haunted by this future daughter she hasn't had yet throughout the whole film, these memory yeah. forward flash forwards. And of course, Blade Runner, you know, he has a girlfriend who's a hologram for one thing, but also, um, <laughs> you know, just the idea of the, the idea that the replicants are doubles of humans and that they're yeah. therefore kind of specters of humans. They kind of haunt the idea of like, am I human? That's the whole Blade Runner history. So I think that's a great link between the between the three. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you wanted to link it to his other two um English language films, uh, prisoners and Sicario. Uh, I think enemy is almost like in this perfect tonal middle, uh, Mm -hmm. where I find those films are so much about the kind of fear of the other. Um, whereas, uh, 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 all of his films are are in, in a way like engaging with like, with that on a really intense, uh, uh, really foreboding level. Um, and Sicario and uh, uh, prisoners go uh, to this insane level of it where, yeah, it's about um, like Sicario is about a woman's fear of border terrorism and that sort of stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. but also uh, and then but then it morphs into uh, uh, the fear of like the horrific underground power of like the uh, american law enforcement and uh, right. uh, uh intelligence offices and then prisoners is like the fear of the neighbor uh that mm-hmm. one's like yeah just these people who don't <laughs> understand and that's another major movie about failing to communicate in like a really mm-hmm. horrific way <laughs> that's right yeah yeah about yeah hugh jackman just like torturing 
a disabled man for uh, days and days and days um, yeah. because he thinks he knows something about his missing daughter. <laughs> uh, I kind of liked that his yeah. earlier movies were sort of darker. Right. Yeah. I, want, I, I hope he goes back to yeah. that sometime. And I hope he makes another 90 minute movie, too, because this movie. Yeah. Is yeah. I love the so, long movies, but you're right. There's something about having like a, just a 90 minute. Like it's just really economical and tells its story really well within that time. That, that's pretty yeah. satisfying. It's so snappy. And, yeah. Uh, like and, and you, down yeah. to the soundtrack, which like sounds like little spider legs, like crawling on yeah. violins. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That's time. a great point. It really does. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And speaking of the darkness, so like thinking about the movie has a couple of, I feel like it has a couple of moments where it sort of takes darker and stranger turns, right? And so the first one is when he tries to call his double and then there's that switch to the to the other and you see that the, the other him is a darker version of him and then it and then they meet and it gets weird. And as soon as they meet, it sort of turns into more of a thriller stalker thing, right? Because the the, yeah. the Anthony one starts to stalk his girlfriend in this helmet mm-hmm. and this motorcycle. And he's now really, you know, one of the ideas of the double is like a great uh, example of that is Jung. Jung has this idea of the shadow, that each of us has a shadow, which is this other version of yeah. ourselves that we try to repress and it emerges out there in the world. That, that shadowy helmet, you know... Um, the visor D- Derrida, by the way, in the in the Spectres of Marx talks about the visor effect, which is like he gets from Hamlet with the the Hamlet King Hamlet has his visor down and he looks at you and you you hmm. see that somebody's gazing at you but you can't see them and I feel like that's, that's a cool, cool kind of spectral image of the the helmet uh, with the motorcycle, yeah, um, or it's literally just like a menacing human silhouette and also yeah. like one of the only shots with a color in it that's not yellow huh. and it's this brilliant uh uh red on his helmet and i think a blue bike oh, or vice right. versa yeah um and what i noticed this time around is i always wondered like why is that sh- one shot so colorful mm. and my only guess right now is uh, uh it's like the exact same coloration as those like really famous poisonous frogs <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and that's, that's kind of all I can think of it right now is that like, and it's such a good image for the kind of Anthony Adam uh-huh. uh, uh, hybrid person yeah. where it's like, is this guy who is just hurting the things he touches, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's just like a venom like seeping into things because he hasn't made amends uh, with his like darker impulses. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that, that, that's a great point. Cause you have the spider and you have this kind of like this other great theme that runs through all of, I think, or most of Villeneuve's work is this alien other, um, animal or even insect theme. He likes insects. They're in, yeah. they're in a lot of his movies in that, and, and that mm-hmm. kind of like that really, uh, either insect or like very non anthropomorphic animal, you know, yeah. where, where, yeah. where it's, um, very alien. And, um, and the idea that he has this like poisonous frog or poisonous creature feel to him and his, and, and this non-human feel to him as he's in his helmet and he's stalking her. And then, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's right. That's great. And then, uh, I think the second sort of where it takes another even darker twist is when, so he re- he, he goes to see, the teacher, Adam, goes to see his other Anthony, and then he's like, "No, no, 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 forget it. This is a mistake. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want 
I don't have anything to do. I love that later. scene so much. Yeah, it's a great. That, scene. That, that, that that scene to me is is like the like definitive doppelganger scene. Yeah, where they like go through the stuff, and he asks him if he has like a scar, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then and then Anthony shows the scar, and Adam starts to freak out, and and we we know that it's because he has he that same scar. Right. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. He just starts to say like this is a bad idea. I think I made a mistake here. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and both in that, like exactly how, I, how I would react like, <laughs> to that. Like I would, I would freak the fuck out, but also like the, the, the kind of meta text where he just, he can't actually face himself, you know, that's, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't face your other, right? Like you can't, you're, you're yeah. double, right? Like you can't, you can't, that's the, it's the repressed. So you can't look at it directly. And there's even a, there's even a way in which they both keep averting their gaze from each other in that yeah. scene. And so you like, you just can't, and then he turns around and, and runs and then, but it's like he unleashed this thing, right? Because now it's follows his girlfriend and it follows him. And then he comes so that the Anthony, the actor comes finally come, does track him down, goes to his apartment. And, and then it takes that, that second, that third act, I think, which is the, the second weird twist, which is, he's like, look, I think you slept with my wife. And so I'm going to sleep with your yeah. girlfriend <laughs> We're gonna get yeah. and it's like, you know, you really do see like, it, it's a great, you know, kind of Freudian thing where you realize that, that the repressed is going to return first of all. And secondly, it's repressed, not because you dislike it or afraid of it because it's what you desire, right? It's what you want. Yeah. And it's this, you're, that's what makes it so terrifying is like, you want this thing. And so. Um, so, so he goes along with it, right? He first, he's terrified. He's like, no, but then he, he goes along with it. And then they, um, and, and now we're in the full, we've, we have been, I guess, but in full spoiler territory. And then they, <laughs> that's when they switch spouses or significant others. Yeah. The second, um, Anthony, the teacher takes his girlfriend off on a weekend trip and, uh, Adam, decides to go to his other's yeah. apartment to Anthony's Unbeknownst apartment. to Anthony. Unbeknownst yeah. to Anthony. And, is, and they yeah, play there's out. some great stakes in that third act. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it happens. Uh, I love the scene. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's great in front of mirrors. He like, uh, yeah. he like nukes a mirror whenever he's in front of one. It's, <laughs> it's so great. Uh, like in Nightcrawler too. But in this one, yeah, he like is, uh, he's like just staring into a, a mirror and being like, did you fuck my wife? And he's like, no, no, yeah, no. Did you fuck team. my wife? Like, like enunciating it differently. And then he's like, oh, I nailed that. It's very funny, right? Because he's, then, there's this, he's like totally like bone serious. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, that's great. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very funny that he, he, as an actor, he, he rehearses it. Right. Cause there's this meta yeah. part of the film, which is so interesting, which is he comes as it were, like comes out of a movie. He's an actor and he rehearses these scenes to play out. And there's this weird meta sense of that movie that only plays out. It's not a meta. I wouldn't call it like a meta movie overall, but it plays out these themes subtly. Uh, play out yeah um yeah uh anthony decides to gaslight adam mm-hmm. into uh doing this and adam acquiesces because he's just this guy he's like kind of pitiable and like i think that he just does it because his his life is already so empty uh-huh. and he just like doesn't care <laughs> yeah uh which is really yeah like yeah, yeah it's fucking bleak yeah. um and and just kind of shows that like yeah 
And then he ends up kind of doing that like interesting maneuver yeah, of, of going and seeing his wife because he, he knows where he lives. Anthony chooses to do that to like kind of gaslight him into, into doing that um, right after being like really emasculated by uh, his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. Who, uh, yeah, like says this stuff about like uh, how he's like a failed actor. Yeah. Um, That's right. And, and kind of just the other problems he has in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, and then, and then we get the spider scene of it, like kind of traipsing around the city uh, in a really spooky way. And then he goes and, and uh, does that uh, to Adam. And it's another great line in it where it's uh, another like classic Jake Hall one to me where he's, I don't think he ever actually gets to say like, did you fuck my wife? But he says like something like he like whips around and he goes, I'm fucking crazy. I'm fucking crazy. I want to like, I want to pull that clip because uh, yeah, I, that, I love when, uh-huh. uh, Jill Hall gets unhinged like that. Uh, yes. You're fucking crazy. Hi. I'm fucking crazy. I'm fucking crazy. I am fucking crazy! I'm fucking crazy! You brought my wife into this, man! So I'm gonna bring your girlfriend into the picture as well. You want me out of your life? This is what's going to happen first. Is it me or yeah. is there like a little bit of a taxi driver thing going on there? Like the mirror Absolutely. scene, are you You're talking right. to me? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so think, he's a lot of, he's got yeah. a lot of young De Niro in him for sure. Yeah. I think, and that's a great point about it. it's right after he was emasculated by his mother. There's all these mother scenes for both of them. Their mother are dominating figures of, of their lives. And, um, and it's and it comes back to the misogyny thing, right? Because and it's like they they that's what they want. They actually what they repress is they want to be emasculated, right? And that's the, the, yeah. the because it's the the their worst fear that they right that that's the thing that they desire. And that's like that the idea of the one thing that the teacher, the professor. Um, Adam keeps emphasizing in the classroom is like control, control, control. And that isn't that what like the gentleman in the gentleman club who want to sit back in suits and watch some woman expose herself erotically is like, I want to feel like I'm untouchable and I have this control, but it's because they're castrated. Right. And they're they're They want yeah. to be like, that's their, that the one yeah. thing they can't ever confront is their own castration. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's so they, 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 they desire and they repeat it because they can never, adopt that. And I think that's why, um, they both agree to do this thing. And it, it almost wouldn't work unless that was so symbolically overdetermined. Right. Cause it's like, well, why does, yeah. why does Adam let it happen? As you're right, there's like a gaslighting and there's like some, there's some like tentative kind of, um, tenuous reasons in the realistic story, but ultimately he wanted it. Right. Like he's, you can, and you can yeah. see it. Like, he's like, this is kind of exciting. Um, I want this thing. I want this, like this fear, this thing. I, I, I feel like I fear to taxi happen and, um, and they play out in opposite ways. It's almost like a rape with Anthony and his girlfriend, but then it's almost like this passive experience with him. And, um, and was it Helen is the wife of, um, Anthony, is that right? I think so. Yeah. And the, the pregnant one. And then it's almost like a passive, like she almost seduces him. So they're like these totally yeah. opposite ways. I don't even know if, if they even like 
have sex too when he comes over they just kind of like cuddle yeah <laughs> which I, is ultimately i think like yeah. what uh uh adam like was really wanting was yes, just right, like yeah right. like a different kind of intimacy yeah 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 that's right and and i think like that's that those are great points and i think like that then so then anthony and adam's girlfriend get in that car crash and i love the way that's done too it just turns into this horrible like terrible cliche abuser relationship right it's like they've just been in this it's like they fall into this relate terrible toxic abuser relationship that they had been in for years or something right they're fighting and crawling and he's being terrible and then he crashes the car and then we switch back and i think like one of the things that uh to come back to um to the idea of hauntology and spectrality about what's absent in the film that haunts the film is the father right because it's all about women in terms of these two men, the mother, they both have mothers. There's never a father in the figure whatsoever. There's this absent father. And then it's about him becoming a father in a way in this, in this as if way in this spectral way where he's not a father. He just sort of without any responsibility or even any biological um, link or responsibility, he just steps into this kind of acting role. Like I'll act like a father, I'll step in and just yep. play the role of a father or something and be totally un. And so there's this, yeah, I think that's a great, like it's haunted by that, the signifier of the father. And that's one of the things that Freud, uh, kind of, kind of, um, really kind of a founding thing in his theory is that the, we're always haunted by the father because in it, the problem with the pet, a, a patriarchy, a patriarchal society is that the father is a signifier and it's a master signifier. And so you're always kind of haunted by the father and the idea of adopting the signifier of the father. And so he finally does that in this, in this as if way where he just kind of steps into the role of the father. And then, as we were saying, then, then he, then the end is that he, um, is going to just, he's just going to repeat the same problem, right? He just stepped in this as if way he hasn't, you're yeah. talking about like the idea of maturing or something. He hasn't actually done that. He's sort of like taken the place uh, of the other. And then he, and then he's going to repeat also that fetish of control, right? He's going to go, he's like, oh, the club. that's a great scene, by the way, in the elevator, right? With the security guard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love how that, like, uh, uh, that also expands the scope kind of like, um, the, um, uh, scenes in the school as well, where the guy says, like, I need to go back. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. so this is like a problem for uh, just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just many, many men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's such like, a great, right? What a sick. He's like, he's just there. The two guys in the elevator and the one that one security guards was like, I'd love to go back. I'd love to go back. Yeah. <laughs> There's something <laughs> so creepy about that. It's a, it's a really, that, that too is a haunting scene. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then what did you make of the end? The end? I love the end. It's a great ending. <laughs> <laughs> that ending, like I saw this movie actually when I was pretty young, um, maybe even around when it came out, uh, because I already really loved prisoners and I had heard it from, I was, I was kind of getting into film at that time. Um, Mm-hmm. And they came out the same year, weirdly enough, even though this was filmed oh, right. much yeah. ahead of time. It just took a while to find a distributor. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah. So I loved it. It completely baffled me. Um, and but one of my favorite things was like showing it to friends. And then the final shot happens and they get jump scared. And then it like recoils. And then you see his face and they play um, 
what's that song? Uh, uh, like after the, when lights the lights go out. Yeah. When, when the, lights the lights go, go out. out. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, Thomas, what was that? <laughs> this is such a good, like, and I was like, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm thinking about it. I think it's about women. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, that was uh, so much fun. And, yeah. and I think, uh, my, my kind of view on the ending has definitely, uh, grown and kind of matured, uh, since I watched it, uh, it's it's just so loaded with so much stuff like he's having this like mundane conversation with um a, this pregnant woman who is now like more or less his wife mm-hmm. uh yeah <laughs> um he's that he's just gonna fill as an imposter as like a little cuckoo mm-hmm. uh growing <laughs> up in the nest yeah uh, yeah and then he opens the envelope he gets the key out he says he's gonna go out and she doesn't respond and that's when he goes to see her yeah. and she's a giant spider <laughs> and uh, recoils into the back of the room in what is pretty obviously like uh, actually like a fear response. I feel like mm-hmm. uh, like something recoiling from, from something that like, yeah. uh, uh, and that's not something I clocked uh, at first. Like I thought yeah. when I first saw this movie, I really, I, I just interpreted that as like, yeah, he has reestablished the fact that he uh, uh, can't really see women uh, as like full people. Like he can't like operate yeah. um, on that. He has to like reduce them to objects uh, in his life. Uh, but the fact that there's like that fear response almost, I think adds like so much more to it that like, yeah, that there's that kind of intuitive sense from her almost that she, um, like understands that he's uh, a threat in some way uh, mm-hmm. or that he doesn't mean her very well mm-hmm. or, or just that like, it's this thing that he looks on in fear and disgust uh, like flatly, but then like it itself is vulnerable. Like, I don't know. There's so much. Good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's a good point that this, that crazy giant spider thing is 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 recoiled in the back of the room like it's like it's curling up kind of like mm-hmm. into itself in the back of the room flinching um yeah i like that that's a good point um and i don't know if it's interpretation exactly but but uh, so, several things occurred to me um one uh one thing that i thought was interesting is we were talking about the links between movies and really it really struck me as very parallel with um, that dream. It's a dream, kind of a dream sequence, because all the all the spider things have been dreams up until that last one, which is interesting mm. because it's almost like it's almost like. I mean, it's a great, almost like an allegory of what's been happening in the movie where suddenly the dream image appears in reality in some way, you know, even if it's as something some distorted thing that you can't tell if it's if it's real or dream or if it's a or if it's a symbol or a real thing you know is she is she an unconscious complex projection to the world or is she just herself as a person but so this has been this dream sequence throughout the movie and this one is ambiguous that last scene which also kind of i guess it kind of gives you a strange sense of like, what's the reality of the end of the movie. But the thing that yeah. st- struck me as a parallel is that that, 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 
um, scene is a lot like the scene from Arrival, where Louise Banks goes to has this strange nightmare where she's in a room. Yeah, uh, Ian totally. comes in right, and she suddenly she's she he asks he asks her, "Are you dreaming in the alien language?" And she start kind of mutters around, says, "I've had some dreams, but I don't think that makes me a fit." And then she turns around. And there's this coiled up, huge spider like alien in the corner of the room, um, and that yeah, you're really, totally right. Yeah, it's a it's a real real parallel there, echo there. And then the other thing that occurred to me was uh, that reminded me a lot of we were talking about Lynch and doubling and Mulholland Drive. Um, there's a scene in that movie that is a, one of those really weird, pivotal, dimensional, like you're going into another dimension scene, which is when, uh, you know, in Mulholland Drive, there's the two women who are doubles of each other. And um, towards the end of the movie, right, that last little crazy, dark, dreamlike whole act of the movie, um, they're in her, her, their dark apartment and one of them runs into the bedroom and they're looking to find this weird little box that they had found, this blue box that they didn't know what it was. And they found a key, yeah. to, they found a key to the box. Right. And so one of them runs into the room and the other one is calling her name and she suddenly just doesn't answer. And so she goes yeah. and looks in the bedroom and she's gone. She's disappeared. And then she sees the box on the ground and then she goes kind of like into the box. And interestingly, the last moment is him finding an envelope with a key in it. And then he finds the key. So there's the same, like finding the key thing in both of them. And then she's, she disappears. Totally right. Yeah. And he's calling her name and she walks into the room and it's like, she doesn't answer in this kind of, kind of strange ghostly way. She just not there all of a sudden disappeared. And then he walks into the room and he finds that strange spider in there. Um, and I thought that was a great, um, a great, illusion and parallel there there's like this sense in which the that some you've unlocked something in the unconscious that is now you're not going to be able to put it back you know i can't help think of like a pandora's box in a way and in, in lynch's yeah, example but. totally yeah that's yeah that's a really that's an awesome uh parallel there that, yeah. I, that I hadn't thought of but yeah even like um yeah the spider imagery it, with it recoiled in the back of the room like recoil like resembles the most i feel like the uh the heptapods yeah uh from arrival yeah um yeah there's this one like really hitchcockian moment i feel like which is uh when like while anthony and adam's girlfriend are having sex uh, she like recoils from the bed and gets up and right. it's like the ring the mark on your finger yeah uh and that to me that that's like it's such hitchcockian dialogue mm -hmm. like and she has like a, a little moment like uh to herself even of 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 that whereas it's the camera like just follows her and i don't even think we see anthony it's just melanie laurent um mm -hmm. like having this like moment up against this like bare wall <laughs> of of horror uh, right. and disgust uh, yes, that's that right. i thought was really really well well played and, and well shot mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like I had something else to say there for, about, on that line. Of, There's a of lot of Hitchcockian stuff with the camera, isn't there? Like yeah. even just the, the, the kind of tower shots where the, the camera jumps up to like the like roof level of like apartments and stuff, you know, like like a tower level looking down at key moments. That's a very Hitchcockian device. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, I did have one last reach, which was uh, that the brand on the key is uh is called unica that's right um 
so I immediately got eunuch <laughs> off of that. There's <laughs> another yes. kind of like yeah, the, the Very theoretical castration. Castration. That's great. That's a great point. Because at um, first I thought you <laughs> like unif like unity like the one uni, but that's yeah. great. The eunuch is is a great. <laughs> great. Right, like that also, that's it just perfect. means only. I, right. Yeah, it's another great thing because in Spanish it means only, and this is after the kind of the synthesis of Adam and Anthony. Uh, yeah. Once the once the loop is closed, and both yeah. um, the mistress and Adam and Anthony are dead. Right, uh, and then it's just the one. Right, but he's yeah. kind of both of them because he's now going to be the the nice yeah. guy and the crazy gentleman's club <laughs> control freak. <laughs> yeah. Which is a, a, something we didn't mention too much, but maybe that's like a, a good closer is, uh, yeah, the kind of, there's this really interesting kind of arc phrase about the way that dictatorships control societies. Um, and it's about like, you know, the Romans did it through, uh, like entertainment and, and colonization and so on. Uh, and then I think what we end up seeing in the film is an exploration of dictatorship in micro and mm. the kind of the, the fact that like Adam as this kind of mentally castrated man seeks that dictatorship. Like he, he talks about it, yeah. but he talks about it in a way uh, of, of this kind of like weird jealousy um, mm -hmm. almost like you, you see that like, it's something that he actually seeks to have uh, mm -hmm. because it's something that he feels that like women in the past have had over him, mm -hmm. uh, like his mother, uh, and so on. And, and, and then, yeah, he, he, and then Anthony himself is this great expression of, of that kind of dictator figure where he is. Yeah. Like he just like mm -hmm. expresses control through either intimidation and then these like mental tactics and, uh, all of that. Um, but there's definitely a lot more going yeah. on than just, than just that, which I think is, really fascinating too like there's there's the ways that like dictatorship and and like the imagery of authoritarianism is is used i find really fascinating yeah, yeah there's so much to mine from this movie yeah there really is yeah there's a lot there a lot there and it, it's 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 amazing how i mean you could see already that he's you know as an early really early film that he's already got his chops as a director he knows what he's doing like he just makes all these yeah. great choices because it's so it's it's amazingly again we were saying it's economic there's only a few main characters only a few actors in the movie right there's there's yeah. and there's you know it's it, it and he he manages to keep you on edge for the whole movie with um minimal minimal to, you know things to work with it's it's really it really yeah. it's really impressive yeah it's really incredible yeah. yeah and like yeah again like another uh i think it's danny benstein sonder jorians uh did the soundtrack for this and it is a truly unique mm -hmm. just very very special um uh, soundtrack mm -hmm. uh and like i said yeah like spider legs and then there's like uh, uh this kind of like postmodern theater aspect to it where they have like these whirring mm -hmm. instruments uh and clapboards and stuff uh as part of the yeah. uh soundtrack and there's there's even like a montage one of the weirdest montages i've ever seen uh where it like yeah i, I don't even remember what point of the film it's at but i just remember how striking the like editing and the music was where there's like this and then like a cut to black uh -huh. and then there's another clapboard sound and you're back and then you're 
another cut to black and then you're back and you've accelerated through time uh-huh. and uh i think that's actually when anthony takes out adam's girlfriend on the date yeah that is I think it's when that is is happening right, yeah. and then uh adam is kind of skulking through the city to find um uh, uh anthony's apartment again uh-huh. and just kind of insert himself into uh his wife's life yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's what that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that is a, interesting. The way that the timing of that whole last act is really interesting and that the montages yeah. and stuff. He's great with montages. Um, and, and and you're right, sound. He's just like, it's it's fascinating. He's been he's been really focused on sound design and scores right from the beginning. You know, he's, he's yeah. always such an impressive score in sound design in every film he does. Can't wait for Dune. <laughs> Oh my God, it's going to be sick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I got a standing desk, by the way. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, she can say that. <laughs> <Josh>. <laughs> That's pretty radical. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> That's good stuff. It's nice. I gotta use it more, honestly. That's, I haven't been using it too much because uh, I'm actually not using the computer too much these days. Oh, really? But, Probably a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true.